0: talked about speaking with eloquence. And then he gave the illustration that, uh, he said, when I was a student in chapel at Bethany, and uh, he said, I remember one morning that we just lost track of time. The chapel went well over, the speaker went well over an hour. And he said, uh, we never even thought. He said, when he stopped, we thought, why is he stopping now? And the speaker that he was describing that, with the, that was the best example of eloquence was Dr. T.W. Willingham. And uh, so uh, we honor that man this morning, and uh, we, I'm praying that God will raise some of you up to be that kind of preacher. We certainly need that for the future, and, and I, I just pray that God will anoint you and empower you to be uh, one of the spiritual leaders of our church in the days that are ahead. Dr. Gunter has served the church as uh, the uh, director of Nazarene Miss- Missions International for uh, uh, almost 20 years now. She literally has covered the world. I think I heard her say last night she'd been in 70 countries of the world. Uh, Her role is really to motivate uh, the local churches, the grassroots of our church, to raise the mission dollars that uh, support world missions around the world. And uh, she has done a marvelous job of that. In fact, she has raised the level of world missions uh, in such a way that uh, no one ever has. And so, uh, Dr. Garner, we appreciate you being here, appreciate your preaching and your time with us. Welcome to Nazarene Bible College here on Wednesday morning.
1: Thank you. And if Dr. Willingham were alive today, the first question I would ask him, how do you preach for an hour and people lose track of time? (laughs) I can't even do that for 30 minutes. Dr. T.W. Willingham, my, what a remarkable man. When he moved into an assisted living facility there in Kansas City, my husband and I visited him often. When we first went there, we said to him, Dr. Willingham, is there anything we can do for you? Anything we can bring you? Immediately, he said, yes, bring me some popcorn. He loved popcorn. So we bought one of these big tin containers. We were back in a couple of weeks, all the popcorn was gone. I thought, hi hey, in the world, does anybody eat that much popcorn well, th- that quickly? So we were, brought in more popcorn. Back in a couple of weeks, it was gone. So then we began to inquire, what's, what's going on with the popcorn? So we asked his caregiver, Kathy Butt, said, what's happening here? She said, I'll tell you what he does. Of course, he loves it. And he really eats a lot of it himself. But he gets in his wheelchair, Sets that big tin on his lap, and he wheels around the facility, inviting people to share popcorn, and while they do, he tells them about Jesus Christ. Just became a means of outreach, an opportunity, a tool (laughs) for witnessing. So we kept bringing him popcorn as long as he was uh, able to, to eat the popcorn. Uh, I am told that I was the last person to uh, speak with Dr. Willingham before he went home to heaven. Kathy called me and said, "Uh, Nana, it's just a matter of minutes, and Dr. Willingham no doubt will make the crossing. If you want to be with him again, you probably better hurry to the hospital. So I immediately left my office and went to the hospital, and he was there in the room alone. I walked over to his bed, and I took a hold of his hand, and I. Bent down to his face and his ear. He always called me the missionary lady. And I said, Dr. Willenham, this is the missionary lady. Do you know who I am? He nodded his head, opened his eyes just a tad. I said, is there anything I can do for you? With a quivering voice, he said, pray for me. I didn't feel worthy to pray for this remarkable, remarkable man of God but I prayed the best I could. He gripped my hand with such force. And then I stayed a little while longer, quoted some scripture to him, and it was time for me to go. He wouldn't turn my hand loose. I had to take his hand and finger by finger pry them loose for me to leave. In 30 minutes, I received a call that he'd made the crossing. He was home in heaven. What a remarkable man. I want to share with you this morning some insights from God's Word to help us navigate victoriously through life so that we can better glorify God. We all live, I emphasize that, every one of us lives with the constant temptation to focus on self to weigh matters as to how they relate to us. It's all about us. In fact, I was reading USA Today newspaper this morning. Just look at every advertisement. Better sleep, better health, better bed. (laughs) It's all for you. Um, Three reasons why you need term life insurance, your wife, your child, your home. Uh, the, every paper, every magazine you pick up, everything is aimed at satisfying you, meeting your needs. We have to be careful about that. I was invited to to a conference. It was uh, a secular uh, conference as far as leadership was concerned, but I was interested in their topic, so I... Uh, went and was a part of that the keynote speaker began remember it's all about me he went on to say we live in the day of the consumer and you must satisfy the customer because the customer is king and the majority of people it seems in life go through this world thinking primarily about self. There are thousands of consumer protection laws on the book. You say, is this wrong? You tell me. Does God want the humanism, materialism, secularism attitude of it's all about me to be embraced by believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we live consciously or unconsciously thinking about me? Serve me, please me, it's all about me. Friends, God does not exist to make a big deal out of us. We exist to make a big deal out of God. It's not about me. It's about God. It's all about God. I'm going to read some scriptures from Philippians, the third chapter, in a few moments. We're all born with a default set, a drive set on selfishness. We want a spouse who makes us happy. We want coworkers who will look up to us. We want weather that suits us. (laughs) I want a government that serves me. I want a body always free of pain and inconvenience. I want a church that sings the songs I want sung. I want a preacher who pastures and preaches what I want. I want a board that makes decisions that my family and I can live with and we will be happy with. I want a church where the money is spent the way I want it spent. Friends, these are the attitudes out there. It's all about me. Self-promotion, self-preservation, self-centeredness. My comfort, my taste, my likes, my schedule, my program, my convenience. And every day, Satan tempts us. To think, for us to think it's all about me. And sometimes I've heard this expression, after all, if I don't look out for number one, who will? Self-centeredness, friends, will destroy you. It will destroy your joy, your peace, your happiness, your home, your relationships. It destroys churches. What is self-centeredness? I'd like to kind of summarize it like this. A person is self-centered when he or she weighs issues by how they relate to him or her. When we weigh the issues strictly by how they affect us instead of the kingdom, then it's self-centeredness. Is it any wonder today homes are in chaos The workplace is often stressful, government is divisive, Church agendas are so political, and harmony is so rare because we're amplifying more of me, more of me. And I remind us this morning, our family is not about us. Our money is not about us. Your work is really not about you. Your body is not about you. Your time, your church, your college, it's all about God. God has made us for Himself. To live, to bring glory and honor to God. I notice in the scripture, in Philippians the third chapter. First of all, my salvation is not about me. In verse nine. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Everything comes from the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Then, by the Spirit, through the Son, we can return the love to the Father, to God. And God alone. It is from the overflow of divine love. Love of the Father, love of the Son, love of the Holy Spirit. That created us and now provides for our salvation. Romans 5 God demonstrates his love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, if salvation were all about you, then it would all be up to you. There's not one thing you can do to make God love you more. It's all about God. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Ascend the winding path outside of Jerusalem. Follow the dots of bloody dirt until you crest the hill, Calvary. Look up, pause, and you will hear Jesus whisper, This is how much I love you. See the whipped, ripped muscles on his back. The sweat drops of blood on Jesus' face. See his swollen eyes and lips. His legs vibrating from pain. Hear his declaration without any interpretation of changing his mind. It is finished and you and I didn't have a thing to do with it. Why? Because it's all about Him. Our salvation is about Him. By grace, the unmerited, undeserved favor of God, we are saved. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We are saved today, and our debt has been counseled because of Him. In Ephesians we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. John Wesley said, The blood, the blood is all my plea. The blood, the blood avails for me. Our salvation is all about Him. Also notice in these scriptures that my life is not about me, it's about Him. Do you believe that this morning? In the 8th verse, but indeed, Paul writes, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish Elsewhere, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you're no longer your own. God has paid a great price for you, so use your body to honor God. Your body is God's instrument. Your body is God's temple intended for His work and for His glory. The Corinthian Christians had serious trouble with this. They conveniently separated flesh and spirit. Their philosophy was, have fun with the flesh and honor God with the spirit. They compartmentalized their life. Some people think it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies as long as we, when we do come to church we worship God. Some people think the same tongue can criticize and destroy and damage others and slander the character of others and then when they come to church they can worship God. Folks, it just doesn't work that way. Our life 24 seven is all about God. And I want to just kind of get down to to the nitty-gritty this morning and admonish you, run from sin, run from gossip sessions, run from sexual immorality, run from pornography, run from homosexual activity. God-centered thinking will keep your body and mind under the subjection to the Holy Spirit, commit to a God-centric lifestyle. Jesus said to the inquisitive scribe, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That is all that is within you, knowing that your body is a member of Christ himself. So use your whole body, we find in Romans, as a tool to do what is right to the glory of God. My life is not about me, it's about God. Also notice in the scripture, my stewardship is not about me, it's about God. In verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Verses 17 to 20, Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we think it's all about us, then we think that our time, our talents, our treasure, our money, it's all about us. And we forget who is the giver, the owner, of all of these blessings in life. Not a one of us owns anything. You don't own the house you live in. You don't own the automobile you drive. You don't own the bank account. And by the way, neither does the bank. God owns it all. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We are simply the managers, the stewards. Because God owns it all, I must take good care of it, of all of it. That God said to the first humans, manage and take care of the stuff. And we read in Proverbs, the Lord has made everything for his own purpose. I read the story about a man who had a lot of money Oh, how he loved his money. And he thought it all was his. And uh, he began to think about the time he would die. And it was worrying him what's gonna to happen to his money. And so he called his wife in one day and he said, I want you to make a promise. If I die before you, I want you to put all my money in the casket with me because I'm gonna take my money with me. And he was just adamant to make her commit to that promise. So she said, "Okay." So sure enough, he died before she did. So she wrote her check and put it in the casket. (laughs) How foolish of us to think we can take it with us. Why? It's not ours. It belongs to God. Our stewardship is all about him. The great reformer Martin Luther said there are three conversions that take place when a person is saved. The head, the heart, the pocketbook. And he said of those three, the pocketbook is the hardest. I guess it's no wonder we read that one-sixth of Jesus' teaching was about money, earthly possessions. And he talked more about money than he did prayer and faith. The writer of Proverbs says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. That means right off the top. This new thought came to me recently. Isn't it wonderful when you get old, you still can have some new thoughts. (laughs) Isn't a dollar worth the same amount at any time, whether it's off the top or the bottom? Isn't a minute a minute, whether it's off the top or the bottom? But you know what first fruits are? First fruits is an expression of worship and trust. Think about it. First fruits, right off the top. That's an expression of worship and trust. Let your stewardship be all about God and not about you. Next, I notice in the scripture my ministry is not about me, my ministry is about God. I hope that we're all learning this. It's so crucial. First, to be used of God in ministry to recognize it's not my ministry, it's God's ministry. It's all about God. Verses 12 14, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Then Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God gives the increase. Oh, it's not about us. God calls some of us to plant. He will call some of us to water. It doesn't matter. God does the calling. We walk in obedience. It's His ministry for us. And it is God, whatever happens, whatever good is accomplished, it's all about God because it is God who gives the increase. It's not about our little part in the ministry or our area of ministry. It's all about God and giving God the glory Isaiah's testimony was then flew one of the seraphims unto me having a live coal in his hand which he'd taken with the tongs from off the altar and he laid it upon my mouth and said lo this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged also I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us then said I here am I send me it was when Isaiah saw a glimpse of God's glory that he had to speak. Oh friends, we'll never fit for ministry until first we see God's glory. And we know, we know that God has called us into his ministry. Paul began his letter to the Romans. Paul, a slave, a servant, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. And right here in the letter to the Philippians, Paul begins it, Paul, a servant. Elsewhere in Romans, he said, "'I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. "'It's the power of God to salvation "'to everyone who believes.'" Paul lived for one purpose, and that was to deliver God's message. How people remembered him was not important. If he thought that, he wouldn't have introduced himself as a slave, as a servant. I want to tell you, friends, how people remember us is not important. It's how people remember God, how God worked through us. That's what we celebrate, the goodness of God. Pastor, whether you're pastoring now or whenever you will pastor, it won't be about you. It'll be about the Christ that you preach and the Spirit of Christ with which you lead. And same way we could go through with Sunday school teachers and youth and children leaders and mission leaders and and music leaders. It's about not exalting ourselves, but exalting Jesus Christ. Our ministry must be about Him. It was about 12 years ago. Good and I were living in Kansas City, both working there. And I was just becoming kind of overcome with, with... some of what I was experiencing and seeing, and getting some of my own focus messed up. And I came home from work one day, and I said, honey, I'm just troubled. I've got to have some time to refocus on God's call in my life and God's ministry for me. We went away to the beach in South Carolina, home state for a few days. We walked the beach, we prayed, one night I came, we came in and I said, honey, you just go ahead to bed. I, I don't know when I'll get there, but I've got to pray tonight till I pray through. I need God to refocus me off of all the stuff and the, what I perceived to be the political agendas and focus anew on God's call. And I remember that night. I'll never forget it. I was in the other room, praying and agonizing, and the Lord spoke to me. Psalms 46:10, 10. Nina, be still and know that I am God. I can argue a little bit. Lord, I don't like to be still. <laughs> I'm kind of a fast lane person. <laughs> I don't like to be still. And the Lord came back and spoke to me, be still, be still and know that I am God. And I saw the rest of that verse. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And I'll tell you, I prayed that night till I prayed through. And God refocused me on the ministry and the call that he placed upon my life. Friends, I want to tell you, we have to do that in ministry from time to time with all the stuff that caves in upon us. We have to find our place of prayer and say, Oh God, keep me focused on your call for my life. Cause it's not about us. It's not about who gets the credit. I read the story not long ago in one of Max Lakato's books about a frog had a real problem. His home pond was drying up and he knew if he didn't soon find water, he was going to die. So he heard of a vibrant stream over the hill and. He thought, if I could only get over to that stream, I'll, I'll have it made. But he said, there's no way I can get there. My little legs won't take me there. They're too short. And, but then he had an idea. He convinced two birds to carry a stick. One bird on one end, one on the other, and the frog got in the middle. And he bit a hold of that stick, and they began to fly. It was quite a sight. Two birds, one stick, and a frog in the middle. In a few moments, they flew over a cow pasture. The cow was so impressed with such ingenuity, and asked, now who came up with that idea? And the frog overheard the question and couldn't resist, giving himself the credit. And he opened his mouth and said, I did 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 did, did. And you know the rest of the story. Pride goes before destruction, and haughtiness before a fall. So I want to challenge you this morning. Stay focused on God, not about who gets the credit, for it's not about us. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Why is the ministry so important? Because of what the church is. I remember many years ago answering this question, and it revolutionized my life because of what the church is. This is my perspective. The church is the community of believers carrying on the ministry of Jesus Christ upon the earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give that to you again. The church is the community of believers carrying on the ministry of Jesus Christ upon the earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now you think about that. You see, the church, William Barclay says, the church is the extension of the life and ministry of Jesus on the earth. And to think that God connects us with his great mission and calls us the church and calls us into ministry so that we can be leaders in the church to carry on the life and ministry of Jesus upon the earth. Now, I don't know what that does to you, but I'll tell you, that excites me. That gives me greater passion to be a part of the church and to be engaged in the ministry that God has called us to. That will hold you steady. And then, in closing, we might ask, how do I move off of this attitude, this mindset, this self-centeredness. You can't. But if you will, God will move you off. He will do it. Your part is to humble and surrender your rights, your total self, to Jesus Christ, to the comprehensive Lordship of Jesus, to the cleansing, purging, purifying power of the Holy Spirit, until his transforming grace dethrones self in your heart and life. And in Corinthians we read, then with unveiled face, you can behold him as in a mirror reflecting the glory of the Lord. When you live God focused, think, you become a mirror reflecting the glory of God. Changed into the same image from glory to glory. Only when every facet of our lives bring pleasure to Jesus can we really worship Him. Friends, worship is not an event. Worship is a 24-7 commitment of your life bringing glory to God. Somehow or another in recent years we've gotten the wrong definition of what worship is all about. Worship just doesn't happen, it does happen when we come together, but that's just one facet of it. And it happens because out there 24-7, we, our lives have been offered in worship to God to bring glory and honor unto Him. For your information, this is a new sermon. And I sent it over to Word Processing just recently and asked the One of the ladies there, if they would type this manuscript for me, and they were so gracious to do that. But it came back with this little note. As I listened to this tape, tears began to roll down my face, for I realized the Holy Spirit was lovingly speaking to me and convicting me about my own self-centeredness and my me mentality. Dr. Gunner, this mindset has happened gradually in subtle ways. You hear it? Before I knew it, I began serving God, others, and my church as it has been convenient for me. I am thankful that we have such a patient father who loves us unconditionally, and he finds ways to bring us back to him, and realize it's all about him and not about me. How is it in your own life this morning? Shall we stand with our heads bowed? In a moment, we're going to sing Holiness, holiness is what I long for. While our heads are bowed, make it a time of personal prayer and evaluation in your own heart and life. Is there something God's talked to you about this morning? And again, I say, folks, this is something we all live with. It's something we all have to come back to in prayer and submission. Take my heart, Lord, form it. Take my mind, transform it, take my will, conform it to yours, to yours, O Lord. Righteousness is what I long for. Do you need to talk to God this morning? Say, oh God, don't let me be self-centered. Forgive me for thinking that even my family, my church, my school, my life, my ministry is about me. Refocus me this morning to see that it's all about you. Would you like to pray as we sing? Either come around the altar, just kneel, sit in prayer wherever you are. Just obey God this morning.